Hello and welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, watch a selected episode, comment along, throw in facts and observations, and try to guess what my special guest's favourite things about the episode might be. Hi there, Toby, and hi everyone. My name is Jess Jerkovic. I'm a jazz pianist, arranger, composer in New York City. And most recently, in the last four years, I've been doing a YouTube project called The Dudley Simpson Is Doctor Who Project, where I transcribe my favorite bits of Dudley Simpson music and create a solo piano arrangement of those pieces. I'm choosing Fury from the Deep. Well, welcome. It's cold outside, but this is a story with some kind of atmosphere. Uh, it's uh, being recorded, this podcast, on a cold winter night, chilly winter night. Uh, and it is just me, Toby Haydock, hello, here with my dog Bernard, who's on the sofa with me. Uh, I don't know if he knows that this is one of the scariest Doctor Who stories by repute. Um, and I think this is also one of the shortest episodes. Uh, episode three of Fury from the Deep. I may be imagining that. You've heard Jess Jerkovic uh, introduce it slightly. He is the special guest. He is only going to choose one musical thing, even though he is a maestro. He is a wizard of the ivory keys. Uh, will this be the episode in which he does that? So, uh, let us press play on episode three of the missing Doctor Who classic, Fury from the Deep. And it's made that really annoying noise on the menu go away. Uh, so, I am watching on uh, uh, on a on a big projector this uh, this reconstruction that I have not ever seen before. When this came out on DVD slash Blu-ray, I watched the uh, animation. Uh, so I save these uh, recreations for this purpose. I do like the reconstructions, and I think they're a a, a sort of closer way of of getting of of getting the experience of the show, not being distracted by the animations now when i had it on a cassette um it's it's sort of you had to turn the cassette over in it and, and it was slightly out of sync but i i remember somebody had whoever had done it they because i think they'd all been edited together um to sometimes lose the cliffhangers i i think the the cliffhanger on the audio copy i had came in when I think it's the chief says, Mr. Robson, that noise from the impeller, it started again. And they went, ooh, whereas actually that was that was actually the start of the recap. So somebody had slightly misplaced it because, of course, the cliffhanger is it's down there in the darkness in the pipeline, which just nearly chose last time, as did I. Uh, uh, and neither of us did because we chose Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill. But it's a sign that it's a story of curious riches that they're both quite unusual things that were vying for the top spot there i mean a cliffhanger is not unusual in doctor who but one where somebody just says something ominous most definitely is um i i do think i do buy the harrises as a couple who love each other and they are slightly soppy but i think it kind of needs that for them to work as this you know the the nice people that we're rooting for, as, especially as as you know the 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 person who is their antagonist, Chief Robson, is, 
it seems to be in a permanent state of grumpiness. You need somebody. In, and Roy Spence has that very sort of light, precise diction. Did I say this? He, he said, I don't know if he said it to me, but he said to somebody, because he'd worked with Derek Goodwin, the director of Invisible Enemy. I think he tried out for the voice of canine, Roy Spencer, and he has that very clear, precise very RP diction that you could see why they would go, ah, oh, yeah, that's the kind of voice we need for this, you know, this clipped, um, you know, information machine. Uh, so he was very nearly a, a part of, you know, a legendary part of Doctor Who. Still a sort of legendary part of Doctor Who. He's in Fury from the Deep. Uh, a, a, a story that... Uh, I remember for a while was was the sort of a story that nobody sort of named as a classic and yet always appeared, you know, quite near the top of, you know, best stories ever. And in polls, it was was always quite pleased to see it sort of nestling in, you know, number 22 or 27 in all time greats. This was, you know, when when classic, it was just classic who. Um, and I quite like that because it never had the pressure of being one of those ones that was always in the top 10. Uh, so, so, so nobody ever thought it was fashionable to go. Uh, yeah, I'm the one who hates the web of fear or whatever. Um, and and I don't know why I've just um, uh, just been mean about somebody I've just made up there because I I was always yeah I think the Tomb of the Cybermen's overrated. So I'm a hypocrite. Uh, it's, it just depends on which story it is you're doing it to, isn't it? But Fury always seems to sort of manage to escape that because nobody knew it well enough. And then those that did know it sort of went well I love it and those that didn't really know it but hoped it was good like me sort of probably boosted its score I don't know where it uh, where it sort of sits now because um, it is a, it, it, it is I, I think within the position of the season you know it's it's it does have quite a lot of similarities to what's gone before but watched in isolation and also actually within the context of season five it's still quite unusual as we'll see nobody dies uh and and because pemberton's not written any doctor who before uh you know it's it, it it's got a curiously novel approach in the way that it does some classic sort of who staples um you know and i believe i definitely believe the sort of base setup, you know, the, the the relationships between all of these people, um, and and I think, I think you know, I think Victor Madden is is excellent as Robson doing a very difficult job. And he's got look at that. He's got a brilliant that sort of slightly closed side of one mouth and the, and the jutting chin. He's got a fantastic face as an actor, and I love his I love his hair with its streaks of grey. Uh, he was, a, but he was a very interesting man. Uh, uh, he uh, he's famous, isn't he? He's in the, um, uh, the the famous outtake of Dixon of Doc Greenway. It's him and Alan Tilvern, who is the uh, the guy from Planet of the Giants, and uh, what's his face in um, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, who Muldoon, isn't it? Um, who uh, uh, Victor Madden has to say uh, they're down at. Doc Green Nick, and he keeps saying Dick Green Doc and all of that. So, D D Dick, Doc Green Dick. And at the end, he rather plaintively says, Can't I just say to Nick? Uh, and that, I think that outtake exists, but the episode itself doesn't. Um, 
And I remember that was shown on Auntie's Bloomers by Terry Wogan. Uh, and he did quite a nice line afterwards saying, you know, uh, uh, after this, Victor founded a, 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 a school for um, teaching people, you know, to improve their public speaking. And judging by his performance there, they'll never be out of business. And uh, Victor Madden was quite an entrepreneur. He invented a tape cassette dog, whatever that is. I've got, I've got all his blur because I, I wrote to him back and forth a couple of times. Uh uh, in the in the 90s uh, and and the results of that were were printed as an interview in Doctor Who magazine um after Victor's passing actually um he died and again you think all the, when I was writing to him I was thinking I was writing to this really old actor and I was amazed that some of these people were you know were still going and still going strong and Victor was he was still acting um but he was only six he was actually 66 when he died you know, my god that's actually only 17 years older than I am now. That's nothing. Um, but at the time, it was like, you know, he was this... Because uh, he'd been a he'd been a well-known face in the 50s and 60s, you know. Sort of him as you know, ancient, but he wasn't at all. Um, was John Abenary was still... In fact, when, you know, when I was looking around at Fury from the Deep in the in the late 80s, early 90s, all of these guys were, were, were pretty much still in the business. Um, except, I think, Graham Lehman, who died in the 80s, but pretty much everybody else. Hubert Reese was still about. He's, he's in a great episode of Bergerac, the one with Charles Gray. Uh, John Abenary was her and the hunter in Robin of Sherwood. And, you know, I was delighted to see cropped up in The Godfather Part 3. Uh, anyone who's experienced my one-man show, Moth Saint, My Doc Two Scarf, will know that I have this special bond with John Abenary uh, to the extent that his son came to see my, my one-man show when it was on in... Uh, Westcliff upon sea uh, but only because I was going through the I was going through the technical stuff with the guy and you know you there are various cues so he's got a sort of breakdown of the show and there's a bit where it says John Abenary and he said oh was he an actor and I said yeah 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 it's just a it'll make sense within the context of the show he said no no his son lives down the road he does stuff at this theatre and I went call him get him here and we'd sold out so he sat in the he sat in the uh in the uh in the booth um, in the sound and lighting booth and watch this show that has lots of lovely references to his dad being my favourite actor as a kid and then I, I dated his niece at, at, when I met her at, I met this girl at university in, in conversation you know um, Doctor Who came up and she said oh my uncle was in Doctor Who and it could have been anyone John Abenary and I was like I know everything about him so he sort of followed me around so so yeah but yeah Victor Madden was, uh, was a really interesting guy who uh, yeah he, he, he taught people how to improve their public speaking uh, i love this that the i hope this was pulled off well this the seaweed in the tank uh in the tardis are you so i also sort of forget about this part of the story where everyone's yelling at each other in there because that's all they do in the in the in the in the gas station whatever it's called um uh whilst uh the doctor jamie and zoe sort of go back to the tardis don't they and 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 look up the seaweed creature in ancient texts which i kind of like that's very uh, sort of nigel neely any and anything that anything that means that our sort of alien of the week somehow ties into our mythology or folklore i always find rather potent because anything embedded in the past is automatically spookier i never really think of it as an aspect of this story you think of this story as you know the scary one with the with a gas it makes you think of you know modern um uh, um you know modern inventions our, our need for gas our reliance on a fossil fuel so you think of it 
as something that permeates the everyday. I always think of a gas oven when I think of Fury from the Deep. I, there isn't one here. Uh, he does this very well. Um, and they're getting at me, he says, is, is the ultimate p- paranoid's refrain. And my brothers always used to, I was quite a persecuted child. I still have a bit of a persecution complex. It's only because I want approval. Um, and my brothers used to say... Um, uh, oh no, you're not. You're not paranoid, Toby. Everyone's just getting at you. Um, and and so that that line about they're getting at me it seemed to resonate with me because it was what my brothers accused me of thinking that everybody was always getting at me. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, and I and I find that evocation of paranoia rather believable. It's it's slightly more to me sort of mundane and everyday than. Uh, you know man cracks under the strain because he can't deal deal with you know he because unlike Jarvis Bennett in the wheel in space who's one of the most ludicrous characters in the whole of Doctor Who this this to me seems to be born of sort of more everyday strain it's not you know Robson's a problem before he's even having to accept or confronted with the idea of aliens you know he's a he's just a bit of a stubborn git that does mean he's potentially a bit one note because he starts at you know, he starts at annoyance level 10 and hasn't really got anywhere else to go. He's annoyed before he's annoyed before people start getting eaten by seaweed and breathing out gas. He's, he's just annoyed he might have to turn something off, just might have to turn a tap off and he's furious. God, imagine, <laughs> so imagine what malevolent seaweed's going to do with him. But I think Madden, Madden does it well. Uh, um, and, 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 and yeah, the whole setup, I think, of as, as quite modern. It is... You know, it's a good idea for a Doctor Who to go, yeah, Letty on the loo and Tooting Beck to go, you know, seaweed in your gas pipes. But I do like that that attempt within the TARDIS looking through those ancient books um, uh, that, you know, this malevolent seaweed might be something from ancient times and, and anything that is a, a you know, that, that haunts ancient mariners, as it were, brings with it a certain resonance that, as I say, I don't really associate with this story but i think it benefits from um but then the yeah the malevolent seaweed in in the tardis i'm hoping that's a the seaweed's a difficult one isn't it because i think if it's plastic seaweed it might be a bit too stiff uh to be sort of creepy but if it's if it's if it's if it's too limp oh but look at that because of course they have this seething mass of bubbling foam and within that you've got visual effects man peter day with this kind of long tendrils and and it, and if it doesn't look like a man waggling two long tendrils about um whilst shuffling about like a bloke if it looks like some of these pictures suggest a kind of formless shapeless thing thrashing about uh, i think it could could be one of the most effective doctor who creatures ever and and and, and looking at the way that hugh david shot uh the 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 oak and quill stuff um and looking at some of those pictures and as i say that that one picture that we had that actually turned out to be a visual effect shot with this sort of foam and this and this this sort of this this like this malevolent surf wave sort of thing cascading foam in its wake but having a sort of you know shapeless malevolence to it i uh, and yet recognizably that creepy clammy stuff on the beach it you know that could be the ultimate uh, combination to be a really really effective doctor who monster or it could be a man shuffling about in bubble bath 
<laughs> or it could be somewhere between the two. And I suspect there'll be some shots that, uh, you know, if we could watch them over and over again, which we, which well, I certainly would. Um, but um, would some would work and and some would be less effective. That's what that's what happens when you roll the dice when you're making a Doctor Who. Um, but uh, but but there's you know also this idea that it's lurking. You know, in the ventilation shafts, ventilation shafts, you know, is a, often a funny Doctor Who staple where there these great big corridors people can <laughs> uh, crawl around bases in. But actually here, uh, they're, you know, they're an entrance into our sanctum. You know, Rob Robson had, had gone to shut himself in into his room in order to escape the noise in his head, essentially. Uh, and, uh, you know, wakes up to the nightmare of this stuff, you know, feeding its way into his inner sanctum via the air conditioning which is very creepy um i mean you know anything that can pervert the everyday and and tap into our primal fears of of, of something you know entering uh, you know our, our home uh, or that you know the place that the walls that we've built around us is uh, is is great for doctor who uh and you know this creature is un, un you know unlike a yeti trying to bang the doors down or uh uh, you know, yes, yeah, Cybermen smashing through things. This, this, uh, you know, Ice Warriors trying to trying to get in. You know, they're, they're they're all similarly shaped creatures. At least the the weed creature here, you know, can slither under doors and through grills and uh, and all of that, which I think makes it makes it rather creepy. Um, and uh, and so Van Lutchens is here. You know. Uh, taking control the mighty john abinary who uh rather delightfully uh, in the radio times it was the first radio times i went to look at when i was in birmingham library and i just went to look through old radio times it's, it was it, that was a day out when i was a boy uh and <laughs> flicking through there and the first one i went to was the radio times entries for fury from the deep and i was delighted because for episode two there was a picture of victor madden as robson and it's a picture that i don't think survives anywhere else in fact there are no pictures that aren't telesnaps of the of the speaking guest cast there's a few of the the extras dressed as um you know technicians with some of the foams bursting out and stuff like that but i don't think there are any pictures of the human guest cast that aren't telesnaps so thank goodness for john cura and they you know they didn't exist when i was at the or, or we didn't know they existed when i was in the birmingham library looking at uh, the radio times so we didn't know what any of these characters looked like apart from the fact that we knew the actors because they were largely still about um but then for episode four because and i noticed then and I'm, i've mentioned my uh uh crustness when the, the the releases get these wrong uh it this is not doctor who it's not starring patrick trout and fraser hines and deborah watling it is not it is not it is not it is doctor who starring patrick trouton with victor madden and fraser hines deborah watling the guest stars get uh, higher billing than the companions and and part of me you know was like well of course john abinair is not going to get it because this is quite early in his career and he was always one of those sort of doughty character actors like like bernard Kay and david collings who probably mean more to us as watchers of this sort of stuff because they crop it up in it a lot than than you know than a, a name you know a, 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 you know a, a revered name in the industry whereas you know 
um, Victor Madden's a you know film actor, you know, and recognisable within the industry and to people at home. This this lovely telesnap they keep using of Mr. Oak and Mr. Quill. Bill Burridge has such a creepy face. Um, but for episode three, it's suddenly and it was almost like I'd willed it into being. I did episode one, episode two is the picture of Victor Madden. I was like, oh, I like the way that they do this. They put the cast, the guest cast first. That's the first inkling that they had that they I had that they did such a thing in the in the sixties. And then you get to episode three, and it's suddenly starring Patrick Troughton with Victor Madden, John Abenary, and Fraser Hines, Deborah Watling. So I'd willed John Abenary, <laughs> Abenary's guest billing into being for this episode, episode three. Um, Oh, and poor old, yes, poor old Harris has lost Maggie. It's um, the, 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 the female character being most susceptible is, I suppose, a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a 60s thing. But it does create, you know, it, it means that Harris's eye isn't quite on the ball because he's worried about his wife. And we like her. She's a nice character. Um, uh here she is and she's got and she's covered in the weed and again on the we've got some clips later of robson with the weed sticking out of his uh, out of his uh, uh sleeves and it looks a little bit stiff but then again if it was too soggy it would just dangle down so it's a difficult one what you really need is malleable weed writhing about which is how you do it now a bit like you know colony Saf or whatever but you'd have, you'd have the weed sort of moving around and you you can't do that with this so what you do is you get good at the, but this shooting on the beach this sort of desolate beach that we have and i know that uh, uh, uh that that hugh david said this cliffhanger was difficult to do because the water was quite shallow and in the end uh, you know he had to he had to make a she'd walk out and then she had to get down on her knees and then she had to sort of lower herself down rather than walk impassively into the sea, which would have been which would have been ideal. And we don't know how that's worked, whether he cuts back to Robson, uh, whether he changes. We don't know how it's done, but hopefully uh, it's as arrest. It was as arresting an image as it, it, it feels like it is to me, because the rest of that stuff on film is looks beautifully shot. I love the having uh, Robson in the foreground to the side of the picture and her receding smaller into the distance and you have this cold dark you know threatening unknown of of the sea on this sort of desolate chilly beach I think it's again it's one of those cliffhangers where there's no peril to our regulars or anything like that uh no particular story beat basically Maggie's just going to go and you know join the join wherever the seaweed people are having their coral party or whatever it is they're doing um uh but in terms of you know the the, the story it's uh it's it's uh it's just a an, an arresting image to, to 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 sort of mark a story beat you know robson is now under control maggie is you know harris ain't gonna find his wife anytime soon um and uh, what a wonderful image that is, and what, and again, a a a, a slightly off kilter cliffhanger, which means that I like it because I've seen a lot of Doctor Who cliffhangers. So if it's one of the Doctor in peril, it needs to be a really good one. If it's one where the plot spins on an axis, it needs to be very artfully done. Uh, and then you get these ones, which is just a moment that just makes you go, whoa. Last week, it was John Abenary just being spooky. It's down there in the darkness. Uh, and this time, it's Maggie Harris walking impassively into the sea.
And I love it for that. Um, and in fact, because there's otherwise just quite a lot of arguing in the base between fine character actors, uh, I am going to choose the cliffhanger. And, and I love that piece of music as well. I wonder if Jess might choose. I, I think that desolate, you know, people meeting on the beach sort of mood music that they have there is is really sort of it's it's gentle, but it's 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 a gentle discordancy, but that makes it sort of haunting and slightly creepy. But uh, that adds to the impact of what is my favourite thing of the episode, which is the cliffhanger. Maggie Harris walking impassively into the sea. That was a short episode. I think it's only about uh, 20, 20 odd minutes long. Uh, well, they're all 20 odd minutes long. But uh, as I'm recording, I'm on I'm on 23 minutes and I did a bit of guff beforehand and I've added plenty of guff since. It's the guff that you come for. So Fury from the Deep has been watched with me by the lovely Jess Jerkovic. And he is going to tell me now what his favourite thing of episode three is. Right, on to episode three. We get several weed attacks, including the overrunning of the Harris's home, which I feel particularly bad about because although I don't cook, I love the Harris's kitchen. I would learn to cook if I had that kitchen. The other attack is on Robson in his quarters, where it appears to have succeeded in taking him over. This in contrast to an earlier scene where he basically loses it and can't keep up with reality. Good thing he's in charge. So all these very exciting things. My favorite in episode three is partially the cliffhanger where Robson on the beach watches Maggie Harris walk into the sea. We hear the heartbeat thumping sound. It's absolutely mesmerizing to think of this happening, wondering, has she just committed suicide? I mean, the whole thing is extremely frightening and what does it for me is the music this is my music, music. choice ah. uh, when i started doing the project i actually started with a couple of recordings that existed uh the master's theme the fish people from the underwater menace the third transcription i did was this music this hypnotic throbbing single note melody which I, I call, I refer to as a siren song because it's, it's holding sway over them. It's like the manifestation of the weed's influence over Maggie and Robson. I was originally so intrigued by this hypnotic melody with the swelling oscillators underneath and this melody, which was beautiful yet extremely angular. It's like, where did you come up with that? It's just, it's beautiful, but you wouldn't think so just listening to some of the ideas, but how Simpson makes that melody uh, 
Well, I had to transcribe it and I did. It's episode three of the project if you get a chance to look at it, but that's my choice of favorites for episode three. The cliffhanger itself is dynamite, but what really sells it for me is Simpsons pitch perfect music. Oh, I mean, I chose the cliffhanger, but I did say this might be the bit where he chooses the music. So I hope you can find it in whoever's keeping score, which I think is precisely nobody in the world um, might allow me a little bit of uh, a little bit of pointage for being in the same sort of ballpark. I was, you know. I'd, I'd put my sun lounger on the same part of the beach as Jess there, uh, even if we weren't s s swimming in the same part of the sea. Um, but uh, that was a nice little lesson on why the music works, isn't it? And it is a fantastic uh, piece of music. I'm, I, I would, I would love to see Fury from the Deep. Uh, I, I think you you can't really know what a story is like unless you at least have some idea of how it is is rendered visually and we i mean we've got those tantalizing clips and you know the the clips do work in its favor i i would say but then again i i, I mean on the video version of jesse's contribution the reason uh there's the, the reason for the pause when he describes the kitchen uh is is explained by the fact that he puts up a picture of it and it is quite a thing uh it is it is as sort of 60s veering into 70s as you can get as there's, there's 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 not a part of that kitchen furniture that hasn't got a pattern on it and uh i mean it's almost like sort of somebody's pressed done a sort of raw shark print out of malevolent seaweed and turned it into uh formica kitchen coverings uh but um, certainly you could you could you could put a bit of seaweed on the kitchen top and it would easily meld into the rather garish pattern the Harrises have chosen. And they seem like such an ordinary couple. Um, maybe uh, maybe uh, uh, yeah, things go on behind closed doors that that uh, that are as as uh, as sort of in, indulgent and over the top as their choice of kitchen decor. Who knows? Maybe uh, the, the pampas grass outside has been obscured by foam. And if you know what that's a reference to, you're very naughty. And if you don't, it wasn't a good day when I found out. So you don't need to go there. Um, well, unless... Anyway, let's not get into that. Um, so look, um, before I throw my car keys into that hat... Uh, it's time for me to go. This will be a short episode, but that's not my fault. It's Doctor Who's fault for Fury from the Deep, uh, episode three being one of Doctor Who's shortest installments. Did I get a point for that? Uh, oh, because actually this one might end up being quite close, mightn't it? Ooh, well, it, it's up to you, but I hope you give me a little bit of a point for that, because if you don't, well, then I'll think you're getting at me. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places. 
which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special musical guest is Jess Jerkovic, who can be found on Twitter at Jess Jerkovic, and his website is JessJerkovic.com. I'm grateful to him and to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include Luke Atkins, Peter Adamson, John Arnold, Kevin Ashelford, James Bell, David Bickley, Will Brooks, Rick Byatt, Gary Byrne, Robin Bland, Alex Capajoglu, Paul Carnahan, Paul Carrington, Andy Case, John Curley, Mark Dakin, John Ellidge, Gary Gillett, Paul Goodridge, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, David Green, Fraser Gregory, Paul Gregory, Dave Hoskin, Richie Howarth, Andrew Jordan, Christopher Joyce, Ashley Knight, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, David Matthewman, and Jason Mayo. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. And I was right, that episode of Fury from the Deep is 20 minutes and 29 seconds long. So not even 20, 20 and a half minutes, not quite. So that is a very, very short episode. So um, you get less of me for your, you get less, you get less banging on for your buck. But, you know, thank heavens for small mercies. If you would like to be a patron, one of the advantages of that is that you get your name read out in the closing credits, like what I have just done with those names there. Isn't that exciting? I mean, if you're not excited, there is more. You get early releases, you get bonus material, uh, and you get various things as you go up the patron level, but most things are available at £3 per month, uh, which is the lowest tier £3 per month gets you all of the essential stuff. Uh, and that is if you go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. You can go up to 5, 10, 20, 50, a million. You can give me a million pounds if you want. But as I say, most things you get for three. Patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock to be ahead of the crowd with the releases. <laughs> You can also go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby because there are no bonuses there, no early releases, no exclusive access or any of those things. It's just a way of sort of tipping me, buying me a coffee, a metaphorical one, although I might sometimes use it to buy an actual coffee. Although, to let you into a secret, I probably have about two coffees a year. I have to be in the absolute mood. I blame when I was at university, I did my dissertation on Quasimas. Uh, oh, I did two dissertations. My second one was on Dennis Potter. I have two degrees. Neither of them, neither of them, have in any way equipped me for any of the jobs that I do. <laughs> um, but I, I ate a lot of Pro Plus and drank a lot of black coffee because I thought that's what you did. I had images of you stay up all night just drinking black coffee, like people do when they're investigating crimes or the supernatural or great big government conspiracies. I was writing about television that I liked, uh, and. Uh, the combination of black coffee and Pro Plus percolated within my uh, intestinal system and uh, played havoc with it. And now I, I think my, uh, I think, in fact, it's played so much havoc with it. My computer has just leapt off my lap, um, uh, played so much havoc uh, with uh, with with my uh, system that it's uh, it remembers. And so I have to really be in the mood. And I will occasionally, I always used to drink black coffee, but now I will occasionally have cappuccino i didn't use to take sugar either but i and i don't take sugar in my tea but i will have a, a a cappuccino with a little bit of sugar in it 
every now and again, maybe, as I say, almost twice a year, and I have to be in the right mood, and then my constitution can just about take it. So it's more likely to be a... Met- that's a very long-winded way of saying it's more likely to be a metaphorical coffee. Um, at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, <laughs> uh, which is an alternative to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, which, which is a commitment. And I understand that both of those things might not be ideal in the current climate. I mean, the climate being it's getting really cold and utility bills are going right up. So, um, or you, but you know what you can do you, that costs you nothing and will provide some warmth, if only to my cockles. And that is to go onto iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, everywhere you can, really, uh, and give these Toby Haydock's Time Travels five stars and perhaps a few lines of review saying what you like about them to point people in the direction of these labours of mine. Uh, And uh, if you can spread the word on cyberspace, say nice things online, it just really helps. And I know uh, some of you have been already, and I'm very, very grateful. I'm on Twitter, at Toby Haydock. These have their own feed, at Haydock Podcasts. So, um, yeah, so I hope everybody's okay out there. The winter night, as I record this, the winter nights are creeping in. See, that's one of the advantages of being a patron. The weather reports are actually apposite to the time in which you they are released as if you're if you're a non-patron you'll probably be getting this what well, i'm recording this in uh october 2022 so you'll probably be getting it in about march 23 when the winter nights have abated and the, the there's there's lovely light dusky evenings again and uh your, your spring flowers are just about to burst here it's a barren winter it's almost as chilly as the beach on fury from the deep and as cold as the dark dank ocean that has within it uh, the uh, malevolent seaweed the colony of devils um i hope you're enjoying fury from the deep uh, it's a it's a funny one isn't it it's an odd it's an almost an anomalous story in the whole pantheon of doctor Who, and yet one that's so similar to much that surrounds it i think it's a it's a congruence of all sorts of things really uh uh, uh you know in terms of that it's one of the few what is it now only four four missing wholly missing troutons power highlanders macra fury is that it gosh very different story when I was a boy. Anyway, this is this is all stuff. The next episode's 24 and a bit minutes long, so I'm going to need to find things to say because uh, <laughs> I can't go, they're arguing about the gas again. Uh, <laughs> and here are some more facts about John Abenary. I have more. Um, anyway, wishing you well and uh, it, thanks for staying to the bitter, bitter end, which is what this is. And uh, ooh, I bet you've... Yeah, I bet when you walk into that sea, you get a bit of bitter end. Anyway, let's uh, let's not get into that. Ta-ta.